right, what's going on, everybody? Uh, this is Kyle Serlo back with another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast, which this week is, of course, presented by HealthIQ.com. Visit HealthIQ.com forward slash golf guide to learn more. And let's get into it, everybody. Another fantastic week of golf on the West Coast Swing for the PGA Tour. So that seems like a great place for us to start. Uh, this past weekend was the AT&T Pebble Beach National Pro-Am, where one Tedrick Potter uh, prevailed victorious. Uh, Ted Potter seemingly coming out of nowhere, um, you know, after you know, reading and uh, some articles and, you know, watching a little bit over the weekend, uh, you know, Ted Potter, seemingly a great, uh, you know, younger player who was on the up and up, but... Uh, you know, a few years back, I guess, broke his ankle when he was stepping off of a, a curb on a street. So he's obviously just immensely coordinated and, and very aware of his surroundings. So you, you could, you know, it's no wonder why a guy like that is now a winner on the PGA Tour and is about to go cash a million plus dollar paycheck. So, uh, Ted, good on you. Um, T- Ted's victory this past weekend was fueled by a just ridiculously awesome uh, 62 at Monterey Peninsula Country Club on Saturday. And uh, he was flirting with, uh, you know, putting up a 59. I think he bogeyed 17 and 18 on that round where he had shot 62. So, I mean, shoot, man, if he if he just pars those last two, he shoots 60. If he can manage to get one birdie and a par on those last two holes, I mean, the guy shoots a 59 and sets the course record out of Monterey Peninsula Country Club, uh, Mike Strance's design out there. So that was, that was pretty exceptional. So a, a fantastic win for Ted Potter. Uh, you know, we'll see if that kind of trend can continue and he can – carry a little bit of that momentum uh into a few more top tens and who knows maybe even another win uh in 2018 so one last time great job for ted potter ted potter winning the at&t pebble beach pro-am uh, one thing i thought was actually you know just as interesting as ted potter's win was the collection of guys who finished in second place now ted you know being as good as he was this past weekend he prevailed by three strokes over uh, the guys who finished in a tie for second place, but uh, three golf, three of the four guys that tied for second place are dudes that you know, um, you expect to be there. But it was kind of interesting to see all of them right there with a, a decent chance to win uh, on Sunday had they just been able to really get their games together. Um, and that is Jason Day, who uh, obviously just won at the Farmers Insurance a couple weeks back at Torrey Pines. Uh, you know, world number one Dustin Johnson, and of course. Our favorite lefty, Phil Mickelson, uh, along with Shez Reevy, uh, the four of them tied for second place. And it's just really fascinating to see because uh, obviously Shez Revy, 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 however you want to say it, uh, just um, narrowly missed out on a win down at the Waste Management uh, a week ago or a week and a half ago. Um, so he, he's playing some great golf right now. It'll be interesting to see if he can continue that. Phil, you know, Phil has still not won on tour since the 2013 Open Championship. And uh, now Phil's got a couple of top tens, obviously a tie for second at Pebble Beach. He's seemingly playing some great golf. I've read in a couple places that Phil is as long off the tee right now as he has ever been. Um, and from my experience, watching athletes, you know, hit their absolute physical primes in their in their late 30s and early 40s, in Phil's case, you know, a la Barry Bonds, it's just an unbelievable spectacle and something that I'm a huge, huge fan of. Not, not saying that Phil is... Uh, engaging in any of those you know extra curricular extra you know physically capable you know activities such as barry lamar bonds and 
many of my other you know favorite baseball players of my youth uh, engaged in. But um, it, it's good to see Phil putting himself in a position to really uh, challenge some guys and, and possibly get a win and maybe even two this year. So uh, super fun to see Phil doing that. His putter's obviously looking good right now. He's got that claw grip, man. I, I, I got to tell all of you, I, for so many years, I would just make fun of all the idiots out there utilizing that claw grip. It just looked so silly, especially when you combine it with that huge, fatso, enormous grip. Um, I'm saying all this because I am somebody who, about two years ago, switched over to using a fatso grip and the claw. And listen, do I feel kind of like an idiot when I'm standing over the ball and I'm about to putt? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But do, do I feel guilty about it when I, you know, shave four or five, you know, strokes off my game? Because, you know, now I'm averaging closer to 30 to 31 putts around instead of 35. Yeah. No, no, I don't feel bad at all. So it looks ridiculous, but it is super effective. I can speak to that from personal experience. So good for Phil uh, for getting on that. And then, of course, you know, two of the, the usual suspects that uh, we've we've come to expect great things from over these past couple of years, Jason Day. Who's? I mean, you know, let's let's not sugarcoat it here. Jason Day's 2017 was a shit show. I mean, it was absolutely awful. Um, you know, most of us expected him to be winning several times on tour, and not only did he not do that, he uh, he's he's just flat out bad. Um, but you know that that has absolutely not been the case to start 2018. Uh, J Day playing great golf. Um, you know, as it stands right now, I I gotta think that Jason Day's got to be one of the front runners to win at Augusta here in April, with just the way that he's bombing the ball. He's, uh, he, you know, he's, he's putting well. Um, I really like what I see out of Jason Day. And then, obviously, Dustin Johnson, he's the world number one for a reason. The guy just hits the ball a freaking mile. Um, and he's all around. His game is just unbelievably solid. Uh, and he is a, a good lead-in for uh, our transition into the upcoming PGA Tour event, the Genesis Open slash the Los Angeles Open at Riviera Country Club, where Dustin Johnson is the defending champion. And uh, he will join a pretty star-studded field. I think 14 of the 25 top players in the world are going to be competing at Riviera uh, this weekend. You know, a, a lot of people, especially the, the guys in the golf architecture world that I follow and I talk to, they they, they just really get, I mean, they get really excited in, in, in their pelvic region when it, when it comes to this tournament this weekend. Uh, most, you know, most people would consider Riviera to be the most architecturally sound and significant course that's uh on the pga tour rotation you know I, i've never played riviera but i've done enough reading on it where i would probably tend to agree um it certainly is a ton of fun to watch on television i know i'll be uh i'll be tuned in for as many hours as i can uh this weekend while the guys try to take on riviera but uh dustin johnson uh defending champion uh he's joined by guys like rory mcelroy justin thomas jordan spieth and the 550th ranked player in the world, Eldrick Tiger Woods. Yes, Tiger. Ah, I'm really sorry. That was super uncalled for and actually kind of awkward, and I'm in a room by myself. But anyway, Tiger Woods making his second PGA Tour start of the year. Uh, you know, obviously, as Ty one of Tiger's number one fanboys, I'm just immensely excited. And uh, to make it even a little juicier from a spectating perspective uh for thursday and friday tiger has been paired with none other than rory mcelroy and justin thomas uh those guys will be teeing off at 8 22 in the morning on thursday and they're going to be going off a little bit later at just a few minutes after high noon on friday i believe they've got a 1202 
uh, p.m. starting time, Pacific Standard Time, on Friday. So that is going to be unbelievably fun to watch. I would imagine uh, the Golf Channel, who's you know uh, carrying that coverage on Thursday and Friday, I, I don't know what percentage of their telecast is going to be just on those three guys and that one group. But you know, if it's over fifty percent. You know, other than the really diehard guys, I don't think you're going to hear a whole lot of complaining from anybody else because just watching those three guys play golf all day uh, would make for a pretty fine afternoon of golf viewing. So um, really excited for that. Excited to see, you know, how Tiger looks. Um, you know, he had his press conference on Tuesday of this week, and the dude had some goddamn swag. I mean, the, the guy, you know, he's, he's, he looks good. He seems confident. Um, you know, he certainly had uh, some encouraging things to build off of from his appearance at Torrey Pines a few weeks back. So uh, all eyes will be on Tiger, but also there's going to be quite a few uh, spectacles looking at defending champion Dustin Johnson, as well as guys like Spieth, Justin Thomas, Rory, and all the others. Um, some other uh, things to take note of, and some other guys you certainly want to watch if they ever end up showing any of them on the telecast, are the Eurostars. Um, this is the first tournament of the year where a lot of the star power from the European Tour is going to be playing alongside the... Uh, the other American guys on the PGA Tour, uh, most notably Tommy Fleetwood and Thomas Peters, uh, along with obviously Alex Noren, uh, Rafa Cabrera-Beo, Martin Keimer. But Tommy Fleetwood was one of my big, uh, the guys I'm most excited to watch. He obviously uh, was the, the player of the year on the European Tour in 2017. He won the race to Dubai. The guy has just got a absolutely butter golf swing. I mean, uh, it, it may not be quite as pretty as Adam Scott's, but it's honestly not that far off. I mean, Tommy Fleetwood has got just an absolutely stunningly gorgeous golf swing. And Thomas Peters, uh, I mean, dude, I love that guy's game. I, I, I went on a podcast with Chris Durr from the No Gimme's podcast recently, and I said, hey, man, if Thomas Peters was playing you know, his full season on the PGA Tour, I got no doubt in my mind uh, he, he'd be sitting in the top 15, you know, on the money list, the world rankings, the whole shebangabang. I mean, that guy... That guy is unbelievably talented. So I'm really, really excited to watch Tommy Fleetwood and Thomas Peters. Uh, Thomas Peters, runner-up. Uh, I think I may have already mentioned that at last year's LA Open behind Dustin Johnson. So we know that he has the capability of playing well. But uh, even as a young guy, what I found would be interesting, and this is a stat that I got from uh, Andy Johnson at the Fried Egg, is that over the last 12 years, uh, the tournament at Riviera has really tended to favor balanced and slightly older players, um, and, and this is the stat that I was referencing, is that other than Charles Howell III and Billy Haas, um, those are the only two guys under the age of 30 to win at Riviera in the past dozen years. And when they did it, each of them were 29 years old. So really, in the last 12 years, no person at 28 years or younger has ever won at this golf tournament, uh, mainly because, you know, because of the strategic design uh, that they have out of Riviera, it really forces guys to, instead of just bombing drivers off the tee and trying to get, uh, you know, hit driver wedge, driver wedge, driver wedge, um, because of the angles of the greens and the slopes and, you know, just the hard, uh, fast surfaces surrounding the green complexes, um, guys are really going to be forced to be hitting it to specific spots off the tee to kind of set up a manageable angle um, to give themselves a good chance for birdie. So, if, if you're not a, a golf architecture nerd like me, um, you know, essentially it boils down to a lot of these greens at Riviera are angled uh, at certain positions where if you're trying to, say, get to a pin that's tucked into a back corner of the green, the green might only be 10 yards deep in one position. So, you know, the, those guys, unless they hit an absolutely perfect golf shot from that angle, 
Um, not only are they going to miss the green, but they're going to be put into a really crappy position, either in a bunker or some high grass where it's going to be really tough to make an up and down. Whereas on that same hole, if they approach the green from a different angle that isn't necessarily in the middle of the fairway, maybe it's on a certain little slot on one side of the fairway, but if they hit that spot perfectly off the tee, all of a sudden, instead of having 10 feet of green depth to work with, these guys have got 25 to 30 feet or yards of, of, of depth of green to work with, which allows them to have a much higher margin for error. So they don't necessarily have to hit a perfect approach shot to give themselves a manageable chance at birdie. Um, oddly enough, this is something that you just don't see that often on the PGA Tour, which is a real shame. Um, I, I have a really uh, a great guest coming in next week that I'm really excited uh, uh, to talk to, uh, who's obviously quite an architecture buff himself. Um, and, and I'm wondering, you know, for, for guys like us who really enjoy good golf course architecture and understand, you know, the implications of getting to certain spots and how it you know, translates into making birdies and stuff like that, it obviously makes the viewing experience for us better. But I do wonder if the casual fan would pick up on that kind of thing. Not necessarily that they know that they're trying to get to certain spots, but I wonder if it would just make for better viewing and for better television and for better live spectating um, by playing more strategic golf courses like this that really encourage players to not just be hitting driver off every tee and trying to go driver wedge, but instead maybe hitting a lot of four irons and five irons and five woods and then having a lot more mid to, you know, short to mid to even long irons into greens. I, I just wonder if that would make the viewing experience better for the general fan. Um, so anyway, that, that'll be something really interesting to uh, take a look at this week. Um, you know, Jumping back into Tiger Woods' group, like I said, he's playing with Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas, uh, which is just going to be super awesome. Uh, Rory made his first start uh, on the PGA Tour in 2018. Coming off two top three finishes on the European Tour before he played in Pebble Beach last weekend, he missed the cut, uh, which was pretty surprising because he had a really nice uh, opening round at Spyglass and then kind of fizzled out after that. So Rory ended up missing the cut. Justin Thomas did not play uh, in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am last weekend. So uh, each of those guys in that group, again, I'm really, really excited to uh, to see what they bring to the tournament this weekend, see if any of them can compete. And who knows, may maybe... You know, it, it's to it's definitely not inconceivable to see the winner uh, coming out of that group. Um, JT obviously, you know, be a little young uh, to be able to win out there if if the trend continues of guys having to be 29 years or older to win out there. But you know, who knows? Either way, it's going to be a really spectacular, really fun golf tournament. So I hope all of you get to tune in for as much of that as possible. And then one last little note, uh, PGA Tour wise, although. It's not really related to either the tournament last weekend or the tournament this weekend. But uh, <laughs> uh, if you have not gone to watch Billy Hurley's video on Twitter uh, where he is just just laid out an all-time just classic smear campaign against Jordan Spieth, uh, Spieth and Billy Hurley are the final two uh, candidates to, for the PGA Tours uh, Player Advisory Council. And uh, Billy took a, an excellent... <laughs> excellent uh uh play out of you know out of the donnie trump playbook where he just just shits all over jordan speed now granted it's all in really really good fun um you know both those guys i think have a lot of respect for each other and it certainly was a, a video made in jest but uh it, it is really really great so if you haven't seen it i don't really want to say anymore i don't want to spoil it for you but go check out billy hurley's video that he posted on his twitter page it is absolutely sensational um other than that uh, only one other note that uh, that I wanted to share with you guys before I jump in and get, present to you 
the second half of uh, the conversation I had with Brett Hochstein a couple of weeks ago, golf course architect and the principal of Hochstein Design. Um, and that is, uh, there's going to be a new golf resort opening up in Eastern Oregon this year. They uh, called, uh, I think, the Links and Retreat at Sylvie's Valley Ranch is uh, technically the name uh, of the whole thing. But, uh, you know, a lot of people probably just be calling it Sylvie's Valley. But it is in Eastern Oregon, miles and hours away from anything. I think the closest town of more than, you know, 20,000 people is probably going to be Boise, Idaho. I know, I know for me, you know, I'm recording this at my, my house uh, about an hour and a half north of Sacramento. Um, it would take me like seven hours and 45 minutes to drive there from here. It would take like five and a half plus hours to drive there from Portland. I mean, it, it is truly out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, more out in the middle of nowhere than Bandon. And uh, you'd be hard-pressed to try to get more uh, <laughs> further away from anything than uh, the, the Bandon Dunes Golf Resort. But these people have seemingly beat it. And uh, the golf resort is going to be opening up this year, um, you know, despite what they have listed in a lot of their uh, promotional materials and their PR stuff. Uh, there is going to be a single reversible 18-hole golf course, which I'm really excited to go up and play. Um, you know, it's a routing where one day it'll play one way, the next day it'll be a different 18 using most of the same greens, just playing everything in reverse for a brand new golf course. So uh, this place is going to have that. I think it's going to have a nine-hole par three course, and then it's also going to have a seven-hole executive course. So um, that's pretty exciting, although what made me want to remind all of you guys about this is that uh, some news broke out in the last week saying that uh, because it's a, an active cattle ranch as well, they've got a lot of livestock and things like that out there that have been on that property for, for generations, uh, is that they have trained some goats. Uh, and I'm not talking about the, the greatest of all time. I'm, I'm talking about freaking goats man you know bad kind of goats and uh they have trained these mother effers to carry golf clubs so if you go play the seven hole executive course you can actually hire a goat to carry your clubs for you i shit you not this is this is this is real stuff ladies and gentlemen so uh if you've ever had a dream to have a wild animal carrying your golf clubs for you the links and retreat at sylvie's valley ranch uh can provide just that this is not a plug there. They're not paying me anything. I just thought it was just so abstract and out there and kind of fun that it was going to be worth sharing with you guys here on the podcast. So with that being said, uh, I'm going to throw it uh, to get a quick word from our sponsors. And then we'll be back uh, with Brett Hochstein here on the Golf Guide podcast. All right, let's talk a little life insurance, everybody. I know what you're thinking, life insurance. Man, that shit sounds really boring. No, but this is actually something new and exciting. Um, we're talking about Health IQ. Um, Health IQ is an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. Do you have to be a vegetarian? No, you don't. I am a, a happily carnivorous man, um, but when I play golf... You know, I always like to walk. I mean, again, if you've listened to me on this podcast, you know I'm, I'm somewhat anti-golf cart, uh, with the exception of using it to carry a cooler. But, you know, anytime I go out and I play golf, I'm usually walking 18 holes. I'm getting in well over 10,000 steps, and I usually track mine on my phone. Well, if I wanted to go get a lower rate on my life insurance, I would go to healthiq.com forward slash golf guide. I'd uh, go ahead, take a look, see if I qualify, and I would, because what I could do is I could provide the amount of exercise and the amount of steps that I'm getting every day to Health IQ, show them the data, you know, proving that I am in fact a moderately healthy person, 
you know, red meat ingestion uh, excluded, and I would be qualified for lower rates on my health on my life insurance. So, how do they do it? Well, Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people, and 56% of Health IQ customers save between four and 33% on their life insurance. So. If you would like to see if you qualify for lower rates on your life insurance, go to healthiq.com forward slash golf guide. One more time. That's healthiq.com forward slash golf guide. And now without any further delay, uh, let's go to the second portion of my interview with golf course architect Brett Hochstein. If you missed the first portion of uh, the podcast with Brett, that was in last week's episode, episode 59. I encourage you guys to go listen to that if you haven't already. Uh, Brett talks a little bit about uh, his background, you know, how he got into golf course architecture, how he learned how to drive a bulldozer, an excavator, and all sorts of fun stuff that uh, I've always been curious about in the world of golf course architecture. And uh, so go check that out if you haven't already. But now, without any further delay, let's get to the second part of that interview once again with Brett Hochstein of Hochstein Design. Is it possible to really build a, you know, a Lynx golf course without building it on sand, essentially? Yeah. Um, At least one that plays like a Lynx is. golf course. I mean, I know a lot of people but would argue it has to be within so many, you know, hundreds of yeah. yards of the ocean. It has to build mm-hmm. on, you know, but can you get a Lynx experience without building a golf course on sand? You can get, you know, close to it. You can't get quite all the way, you know, with, yes, the way it is uh, you know, in the prime, you know, hardest summer in, you know, in Scotland or whatever. I mean, go back to, you know, Valley Club again. It's it's pretty close to, you know, Linksy and it's uh you know, it's inland a bit. Not 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 too far inland, but and uh they have warm season grass and it it plays really well. Really good bounce and really good roll and hmm. um That yeah, sounds but, awesome. But you know, like you said or you know, talking about uh you know, of course, is on the heavier soil is they're also a lot more susceptible to the weather. Mm. If you get a bunch of rain, there's it's not draining. It's gonna be it's gonna be soft. Okay, and that's the that's the difference between uh, you know a, a, a sandy true link site is that you know you can get a bunch of rain. It's more weatherproof. And uh, yeah, you'll you can still play on it, and it'll still play pretty fast. Okay, interesting. Uh, this is one that. I've always wanted to ask, and I, you don't necessarily need to put anybody on blast if somebody actually comes to mind. But I gotta, ha- I have to ask: Are there any golf course architects that dislike Lynx golf? Because it <laughs> seems like there is, uni- it's, it's universally agreed upon that Lynx golf is fantastic, and I, it's one of the most fun ways to play golf. But I'm, yeah. I'm just curious if there's some designers out there that say. I hate Lynx golf. I hate sand-based courses. I just I don't like it. I'd like to build exclusively on heavy soil. I'm sure is they, that person out there? I'm sure they exist, uh, sadly, but uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know who they are, and and if I did, I don't think I'd put them. I, I don't think I'd say. <laughs> All right, now this is where I really get to I really get to grill you. So I hope you don't mind. Um, for me, and I'm asking these, and the reason I thought of these questions is, like like I was mentioning to you a little earlier today. I would love to be on the the development side of building a golf course one day. Um, just the same way that you would love to be building golf courses from scratch. I'd love to be on like kind of the the business side of it and you know obtaining the permits and kind of putting a business plan together. And but I don't really know a lot of the steps that go into all this. Um, and so, 
say somebody wanted to build, you know, a very nice municipal golf course that was high in quality in terms of play, but, you know, they wanted to make sure that the maintenance costs and were relatively low in terms of the course upkeep. As a golf course designer, what are some elements that you work into a design that allow the superintendent to have an easier job and keep their maintenance costs down as they try to keep the golf course going after you guys have, have gone from, from doing your work? And, and you can go anywhere yeah. you want. There could be this... a couple different things that you could do. I mean, I, I, I'm just really, really curious to hear the kinds of things that you can do as a designer that will make the operating costs of the golf course more manageable for the people down the line. I think going from like a, you know, coming from a municipal or, you know, you know, very, you know, public, uh, everyone plays a course, uh, a few things I would do, you know, one would be reduce the overall amount of bunkers, you know, don't have too many of them, uh, and, you know, try and, you know, make them somewhat maintenance friendly is if you make them, you know, look cool and all that, but don't make it so that's like something that they have to go back in and completely re-edge every couple of years and just give them some slight, you know, nice movement to them. Um, uh, you know, keep the water from draining into it. Keep, make sure it sheds out. So that'll keep the, you know, washouts and anything like that from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, more short grass overall, almost the, go to wall to wall short grass if we could. Um, uh, just gang mow the whole place one height. Yeah, get a. That sounds amazing, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know a lot of golfers that would say, no, I want more rough. Brett, please <laughs> give me more rough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. You just uh, get a big, you know, nine or 11 reel or whatever, and you, you can mow a lot faster that way, cover a lot of ground, and you don't have to worry about a bunch of different heights of cut. And just, you know, through the green and uh, the greens. Yeah. It's so a, lot e- a lot easier on your uh, mechanics too. Sure. And, and I would think that a lot of the cost savings in something like that would simply be it doesn't take as nearly as many hours to maintain it because you're not mowing at different heights all over the place. And you can kind of just go. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. um, when you were talking about the bunkers, are bunkers a relatively expensive part of a golf course to maintain? Is there a lot more to bunkers than there are other parts of the golf course in terms of keep, keeping them up? Uh, I'd say so, and it really varies too. Uh, the The level of maintenance that uh, people put into bunkers is, yeah, varies if, if, quite if a bit. If you if you really want it to be you know perfectly raked, uh, you know every day, and yeah, all the leaves and debris blown out of them, and uh, you know keep up on the edges and all that, and then yeah, yeah, they become uh they become pretty expensive. Um, but if you're like some places that just don't have the resources or just choose not to put that much, uh, you know, effort into it, like I know like a Glen Eagles in San Francisco, they'll go a month or two without raking the bunkers because they have other things to get to. Sure. <laughs> and so that's and that to me, that's fine. Yeah. They're taking the Pine Valley approach. Yeah. A bunker is supposed go. to be a hazard. <laughs> we don't rake it. OK. When you yeah. get in there and you're in a footprint. Well, you know what? That's your fault for going in the bunker in the first place. And they're pretty small. You should be able to avoid them. Yeah. That, that, that's uh, <laughs> No, I think that that's really awesome. Now, if, if I'm going to go off on a little uh, a little tangent or a little side uh, note here. Yeah. Um, I'm very curious about the construction of bunkers because sometimes when I see pictures of people building them, I'm seeing all kinds of different stuff go in there where maybe they're, after you dig out the, the hole, 
or is that the proper term for it? You know, you know, dig out a bunker. Cavity, whatever. So yeah. after you dig the cavity out, what then is the process of actually building that bunker? Sometimes I see people put this sponge-like stuff in the bottom of it. I, I don't know if you're actually putting <laughs> like drainage, like pipes underneath the bunker. Like how, how exactly does like a bunker get built? So, uh, yeah, for me, number one is getting, you know, the whole disturbance area, you know, marked out. And the disturbance Any, area is simply the part that you're actually going to be hitting with the excavator and actually digging out of the ground, correct? Yeah, and the areas, uh, you know, surrounding. and Because you have the, equipment the that first, you're going to disturb, the, right? The first thing first is you have to build the landform that the bunker is going to be built into. Mm-hmm. You either build it new or or edit it, you know, the existing, whatever. You have to make sure that form is right first. Sure. Uh, and then you'll go ahead and start cutting out a line from that. Okay. And, and is that pretty common where you actually need to adjust the the land that you're going to be cutting into more so than it's just already there and you just start cutting? Is that what you're referring to with Northwood, often, essentially? Yeah. Northwood is a special case where it's, it's actually already there. Like, I wouldn't want to mark out disturbance areas outside of the landforms. I would just, you know, make sure I would fiddle around with the lines until they look right, you know, spray paint and uh, uh, flags or whatever, mm-hmm. and then just go in and whittle away until it looks right. Actually, I'd probably err on the side of caution. I would take I would take the inside route so that I can, you know, go back in. Work inside, outside? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, inside, inside to out. That's, that's, that's unusual where you where it's that easy yeah normally you have to completely tear up the whole area and you know mess around with the landforms and and okay. then you start cutting your your edge in and i i've so i've seen some cases where you just you know they'll they'll shape something out and then you know an architect will paint and then the contractor will come in and you know excavate out from that line i'd i'd rather do it all in one fell swoop so is sure. that way i can get like some variation to the edges and really get like what i want and get get the floors you know, shaped out the way I'd like to gotcha. see them as well. Interesting. And so after you cut the cavity out, what what, what are the next couple steps between then yeah. and actually getting this thing? Uh, so either, you know, if, if it's sandy soil, I'll myself or, you know, someone like myself will go back in and, uh, you know, take the rake and shovel to it and do some finish work, get a final edge, you know, that's good for grass. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they'll, Someone else, I usually leave it to someone else to put in drainage, any any drain lines that need be uh, done. So whether that uh, you know ties into drainage outside, or you just have sometimes you'll just if you have good soil, you'll just build sort of a what we call a sump, a big giant you know pit mm-hmm. filled off with gravel and just let it soak away. Sure. Uh, often, especially in California. Yeah, with with a heavy soil, you'll tie into some sort of other existing drainage, hmm. and then you have a choice of liners if you want to put liners down. Is, is that um, what I was seeing when I saw some sort of yeah spongy yeah, waffle seeing, type thing? Yeah, you're either seeing probably capillary concrete or uh, uh, better Billy Bunker system. Hmm. What what's the what's the benefit of using those things? Uh, it I guess it's uh, uh, it helps hold the sand. Uh, while flushing out the the drainage hmm. if you have a heavy rainfall event um i think that's that that's sort of the primary thing hmm. interesting and then after that it's just a matter of mm. putting the sand in yeah you, know, you put the sand in on top okay. of that but 
I tend not to. I mean, it's it's not really my choice, but I, I sort of prefer. Not, I, I I like not using liners just from a construction standpoint because you you Is are it kind of, able, it's it's kind easier of a pain? it's easier to set the final edge. Okay. And know what it is. Um, is that when, something when, that when you're only you know filling in you know two inches of sand on the edge or whatever? If if you have if you use a thin liner, then that's all right too. But some of these other products, it's you got you know two or four inches of the capillary concrete or uh, better billy uh, uh, you know fill material, mm -hmm. and then you also have to have a minimum sand coverage on top of that. I think is hmm. for uniformity because otherwise, if it's if it's not uniform, I guess. Uh, the, the 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 water table will flush out at at the bottom at different uh, mm. at different times and you you can run into some issues with that or you know wetter spots than others. Is that so, something that was is more commonly used at say like higher end or lower end golf courses? Uh, I'd say it seems these days like it's, it it seems like it's more high end, but yeah, you know, it's being sold to lower end courses as well for. Yeah, with the benefits of lower maintenance. Hmm. And it simply cuts down on maintenance costs because I guess it's less upkeep if it starts yeah, filling water. Or yeah, something? fewer washouts and okay. primarily. Interesting. Um, all right, this, this will go on to this one. Uh, we talked about this a little bit today while we were out at Northwood uh, when I mentioned, because I think from the tips, do you, do you recall what the exact yardage Northwood was from the tips like 2,900 yards or I, yeah 29 something it's, it's, it's not a long golf course at all um and it, it led me to tell you that you know if I ever got a chance to build a golf course I'd love to build something it's kind of just 18 holes of that you know 6,000 yards from the tips wide you know fun no intention of host you know hosting any kind of challenging tournament for scratch golfers you know really a an every man's kind of just golf course it's a lot of fun for me, that's the kind of golf course I would love to build most. What kind of golf course would you love to build most? And you can well, go you can go anywhere here you want to. You say, "Oh, I want to build a Lynx course that's five thousand, you know, yards on the front nine and two thousand yards." I mean, you can go anywhere. Be as creative as you want to. In your in your perfect world, you know, some sort of developer with a, a big old wallet comes up to you and says, "Brett, what I want most." Is what you want? Go build me something. What do you end up well, building? Well, let me say I, I I agree with you about the the yardage and uh, doing something fun like that. Uh, I, I think those courses are a lot of fun. I always enjoy them. There, there's a ton of them over in the UK. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of like 5,700 yard golf courses over there, which is yeah, awesome. They're just filled with quirk and like you just you have like 230 yard par fours or. <laughs> Yeah, you know, whatever you want to call them, who who cares? It's you know, yeah, try just, try and get the fun. try and get the ball in the hole. Yeah, yeah. You know, play match play. It's oh, it's the best. It, it, it's a total blast. It, um, so I mean, I would continue sort of in that same vein. I don't know about setting a specific yardage, but you know, mm -hmm. just a course that's going to have you know a lot of different ground contours. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of variety. Uh moves with the land in a really sort of natural way. Um, it, it feels like something, you know, almost just the way you would walk it if there wasn't a golf course there. And uh, just just a lot of variety, as much as you can sort of have, you know, without being ridiculous. But you can't really have too much variety. 
I guess unless you you could if you just completely jammed in a bunch of different styles, but <laughs> keeping with uh, keeping the with the overall that. sort of sure. context of what's there, you know, and 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 the, and the land, and I, I wouldn't want to butcher the land. I'd want to try and work with it, um, just as much fun as there can be. I mean, I just I just want to build fun golf. Really, is what it comes down to. That warms my heart. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to hear. That's awesome. Yeah, I just think fun golf should be put at a yeah. premium. I mean. As we've already referenced a couple times, it seemed like for a few decades there, fun golf had kind of been forgotten about, and it seems like it's mm-hmm. now starting to make kind of a, a reappearance, and it's starting to you know, be it is more. A bit, yeah. Which, uh, and I hope that trend continues in even more dramatically. Like I said, you know, it's, I think it's just it's only the start, really. If if it's going to continue, it, it, for for the amount of potential that it has. Sure, sure. Um, you know, we're, we're going to stay with uh, some just more some of your personal preference type questions here to to put put a wrap on the podcast so um next one would be and this is something i've thought about a little bit because i know i certainly appreciate you know good architecture i'd be lying to you if i said i i notice all the little in- intricacies and you know nuances of, of a golf course's design um and my handicap usually you know, floats anywhere between an eight to a, a 12 you know i'm somewhere usually right around somewhere in that range um is it possible for high handicap high handicappers to genuinely appreciate quality golf course architecture? Because I think it feels like so much of it is predicated on somebody being able to sit down, understand the strategy of a hole, having spots they want to hit to get to certain angles. And sometimes I wonder if somebody's not a very skilled golfer, do those things ever cross their mind? I mean, for me, I know what to do. It's a, I mean, whether I can execute or not is, you know, certainly up in the air but i yeah i now I, I was a caddy for several years and i think that has a lot of it you know a, a big part to do with it because i was having to think on behalf of other people but i'm wondering if there's a a skill level that is required to be able to genuinely appreciate quality golf course architecture uh what, what are your thoughts yeah that's that's actually a really good question and it's something that i've thought about a bit too is you know how Like how would I would approach it if some if there was something I designed? You know, how would I get a thirty handicapper to really appreciate this? It's it's a, <laughs> it's. I've thought about it a lot too. I mean, granted, probably not as much as you, nor should I, because it's not my line of work. But I yeah, mean, it's one thing. Is like, is there like a is there I mean, a really, a handicap yeah. level where all of a sudden it starts to click? Or I I don't really know. I definitely think it really starts to get you know, you're able to really start appreciating once you you. you get below you know 20 and into the 15 and lower range especially mm-hmm. um but you know above that it's i i sort of think it's the best way you can do it is around the greens um that's where they're really probably going to be able to notice it the most and think you know i really don't want to leave this chip over on that side because it's going to be a nasty comeback putt Sure. So I should play it over here, you know, maybe not get as close to the hole. Yeah. I mean, that's that's more within, you know, their realm of uh, skill. And uh, so that's 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 really kind of the best place to start. And as far as, you know, the rest of the stuff, it's until they can really, you know, hit cons- semi-consistently 
you know, get the ball in the air and around, then, you know, it's like, I know when I go to play a course and I'm spraying it all over the place, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not thinking about, you know, the <laughs> bunker on one side or whatever. Right. I'm just, I'm just trying to stay alive. Sure, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I, and I wonder I, if the I high handicapper, since they're almost yeah. perennially in that position, mm-hmm. you know, do they ever actually have the brain space to sit down and be like, wow, this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. I bet you there's a lot of caddies out there that are, you know, don't yeah. play golf. So I guess in a way they, maybe they could qualify, but if they're not playing golf, I guess they're, yeah, they're I not mean, really included in this discussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you can get it to the point where they might think, oh, you know what? Maybe driver isn't the best play here. There's there's more room if I leave it, uh, you know, twenty yards shorter. Sure. Um, you once you start thinking like that, maybe you know some other things start to click as well. And that is a wrap. Thank you again to my guest Brett Hockstein for uh, an amazing day of golf a couple weeks back at Northwood and uh, a very fun interview. I hope you guys all enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, and we will be back next week. Uh, I've got a very special guest next week. Uh, more info to come in the uh, the next few days. Uh, I may even put a little Q&A out there on Twitter and Facebook to see if you guys have any questions for him once I uh, am able to share who that is going to be with. But I won't be recording with him until Wednesday morning of next week. So uh, the podcast will either be coming out late Wednesday or early Thursday next week. So until then, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, you know, I can't I can't say goodbye without reminding all of you that uh, you should go to golfguide.net and uh, visit the store and go save yourself some money on some great golf. We've got uh, golf certificates to uh, about 37 different golf courses right now across Northern California with a few peppered into Southern California, Nevada, and Oregon as well. Um, Go to golfguide.net, pick out the play certificates that you want, and enter the promo code GGPODCAST at checkout, and you can save 10% on any order or purchase, I should say, uh, $50 or more. Once again, that promo code is GGPODCAST. Uh, save yourself some ducats. And then uh, one last little reminder, we are still doing our play day at Green Valley Country Club on Monday, March 12th, 2018. Uh, this is a chance for you to get out to a, a normally private golf club that's always in absolutely exquisite shape and join myself and some friends and some other uh, guys who are uh, part of the Golf Guide family for a really nice leisurely day of golf there's not going to be a tournament involved no pressure just go out there have a few pops and enjoy some great golf um, you can go and sign up for that on the golf guide website which again is golfguide.net and then search for green valley in the search bar at the top of the homepage, and that'll take you right to green valley country club's page where you can buy a play certificate 90 bucks gets you 18 holes of golf uh, with a delicious lunch to go along with it and of course some sensational companies so once again golfguide.net uh, go and search Green Valley Country Club in the search bar on the homepage, and that'll take you to where you need to go. So until next week, everybody, mahalo. Mahalo.